You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Hey, happy Palm Sunday. Yeah, it's almost Easter, y'all. It's exciting. Man, I, I super missed you guys. Man, Keith and Brian did an awesome job uh, preaching last week. I appreciate our guys on staff filling in the weeks before that. But man, it about killed me last week to be here and not preach because I, I missed it. I missed y'all. Um, I want to say sabbatical uh, during March while Lauren and I were gone. Super refreshing. Super grateful for the opportunity to get away and just be refreshed like that. Um, we got to spend some time with family. Even spent a couple of days at the beach in Florida. We, our Lauren's parents live really close to the beach, and so it's easy just to stay at their house and and go visit the beach a little bit. And I think it was our our first day to go visit the beach. Um, we're, we've not been out setting up our chairs and, and tents, not tent, but like the umbrella for maybe, I don't know, maybe five minutes at the max. And, you know, if you've been to the beach or something like that as a parent, you, you are in the habit, <clears throat> excuse me, y'all, of looking for your kids, especially if they're little ones, you're just kind of in the habit of looking and making sure they're close, right? Like our kids are four, just turned four, and so kind of keep an eye on things. Well, seriously, about five minutes in, and I realized Haddon, our little boy, is gone. You know, as a parent, even if you have siblings, you watch them sometimes, you, you start here and the, the fear just escalates with time, right? Like, in that, in that instance, time is not your friend, right? The, the more time goes, the more scared you get. So within the first like five, 10 seconds, Mike Shirley is around here somewhere. I'm looking around, the beach is pretty crowded that day. And so I'm looking over the sand dunes, which is little hills of sand, if you don't have never been to the beach. And I'm like, surely he's not made it out to the water. So after about 10, 15 seconds, I'm like, hey, Lauren, um, do you know where Haddon is? And so she starts to look. Well, then another 10 seconds, we, we get our parents, both our parents are there with us, looking, even little Caroline Tate is looking, and nobody can find Haddon. And so I'm like, the guy loves sharks. Like, did he see a shark? And he, that's, how it, that's how it ended. Like, he like, <laughs> be his, his dream, right? Um, well, after, by this point, a solid minute probably of looking and like, where is Haddon? I look, and a good 50, 75 yards down the beach, this direction, Haddon's little legs are just carrying him as fast as he can go. He's got a bucket in one hand and a little uh, sand shovel in the other, and he's just booking it. So immediately, like, right? He's not in the ocean being eaten by sharks. We're okay, right? But still, like, what is he doing? So Lauren and I both, Haddon! He stops. How he hurt us, I don't know. Turns around and just fast as he can back to us. I'm just like standing watching at this point. And he gets back to me. I'm like, buddy, I wasn't mad. But I said, buddy, like, what's... You, you gotta stay with us. Like, we can't, this is not just our whole playground, the entire beach. Like, we gotta stay here. But what happened? He said, Dad, Dad, I saw a dog. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, don't, don't do that. Haddon <laughs> has seen a dog. We have a dog. Both our parents have dogs. We were visiting Florida, so it's not like he had been dog deprived. I think, I think it was just, he was overwhelmed with joy at the beach, right? Like, the sand between his toes, hearing the waves, he's seeing like the seagulls. We saw some dolphins that day. And now on top of all that, he saw a dog, right? So it was just, it was just too much. The joy was, was overflowing. And so again, I didn't get on to it. It was pretty awesome. Like, hey, just stay here. Don't run away, please. What, what was cool about it is what had become kind of, or has become kind of mundane and just kind of, yeah, I like going to the beach. It's a good time. And kind of, eh, for me, Haddon had this overwhelming childlike joy. Right, just overwhelmed with it. As we approach Easter season, which we're, we're really here, 
I think for a lot of us, the old, old story of the cross and the resurrection, if we're honest, has become kind of mundane to some of us. Like, like, and, and me included, I know I get that way. Like we, we know we should be like, yeah, Easter. But instead it's like, Easter's. <laughs> it's cool, it's good. And I think we're, we'd be remiss to go through this season and miss out on that childlike joy that really like should, should be instilled in us. If you think about Palm Sunday, it, it's Jesus heading to the cross. So it's Jesus entering into Jerusalem, which Jesus was well aware that Jerusalem was where it would end for him. So he's, he's headed toward the end. So while Palm Sunday, we think of the palm branches, them, Hosanna, the Messiah. At the same time, he, he knew where he was headed. What I want us to look at today specifically is really the, the heart, the attitude, the demeanor that Jesus had as he went toward the cross. And here's what's cool. I think as we begin to see, kind of get a glimpse of his heart, his demeanor, his attitude as he goes towards the cross, it reveals the heart of God for us, which springs forth in our hearts, childlike joy. I want us to pray, and then we're gonna take a quick swim in all four of the gospels quickly. Let me pray for us. God, what a privilege it is to just to be here, specifically here <laughs> at Southcrest. God, with friends, with family, with other believers. Lord, for, for those that don't know you this morning, would you wake them up? Would you bring them to life through the gospel? And God, for, for so many of us, me included, who if we're often in this season, we just can kind of go through the motions or kind of lacklusterly approach this season, God, would you stir in our hearts a childlike joy and a childlike faith? God, would you draw us to yourself, that we would see you inviting us to what is really a better reality of walking more closely with you? God, would you help us this morning not to see any form of shame from you, but to see you giving us a welcoming arm of love and grace and mercy as we look at your heart towards us as you went towards the cross. It's in your wonderful name, Jesus, that we pray and trust for these things. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. As you're turning, I can't help but notice so I was praying and looking down, my shirt is the exact same color as this green carpet. That's some skill there. <laughs> Matthew 16, we're gonna be in verse 21. This is after Peter, Simon Peter has said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And then they have some discourse there. Jump down to verse 21 of 16. He says, it says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, to be killed and be raised the third day. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but you're thinking about human concerns. Now, talk about a claim to fame as a nickname. Like, that's right, Jesus called me Satan. <laughs> not what you wanna be known for, right? But why, why does, what's going on here? Why does Jesus call Peter Satan? Why does he refer to him in that way? Was that really Satan? No, but here's what Jesus knew. That Satan was the one behind that remark that Peter was making. That from the, the beginning of time, Satan's purpose, really from the beginning of the earth, I should say, beginning, uh, excuse me, from the beginning of the earth, Satan's purpose, his goal was to keep us separated from God, to keep us separated from having a relationship with God. And so now as Jesus is getting closer to the cross, he's still full aware that Satan is opposing the mission of God and trying to keep God from completing his rescue mission. And so Jesus tells Peter, it really he's talking to Satan, hey, get behind me. You're, you're not gonna be a hindrance to me. From Genesis three on, we see God on his rescue mission to complete the work of the cross. So he says, not today, Satan. <laughs> I'm this close to the cross, not today. Now, I think what's more interesting here is really specifically what's going on with Peter, thinking about it from his perspective. It's almost ironic. I'm gonna read it again, verse 23. So verse 22, Peter says, no, this will never happen to you. And then 23, Jesus turned and tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns concerns. Here's what's ironic. Peter's trying to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And, and Jesus says, Peter, you're thinking about human concerns right now. So what might have Peter been concerned about? Safety? Like he, he's, he's rolling with Jesus. And so if Jesus is going to get tortured and killed, Peter afraid that, is afraid that might await him. So safety? Comfort, status, I mean, they, they had status as followers of Jesus at this point. Maybe even some, some fame, some attention as one of the, the inner 12, and Peter, the inner three with Jesus. Worldly success. Jesus says, Peter, those are, those are human concerns. I, I'm, I'm concerned about God's concerns and by focusing on human concerns, you're being a hindrance to me. So here, here's what's ironic. Peter's trying to stop Jesus, but what Jesus is trying to do is provide salvation for Peter. He's trying to meet Peter's greatest need. So Peter's like, oh man, I got all these concerns. And Jesus is like, Peter, you don't realize how concerned I am about you. I'm headed to the cross to pay the price for your sins, to offer you a relationship with God. See, God's concerns are mercy and grace and forgiveness and you having a relationship with him. That's what God is concerned about. And so he says, Peter, Satan, watch out. I care for my people. How does any of that put joy in the gut of a believer? It's with this truth. This shows us that God was concerned about you long before you. 
God was concerned about you and what your greatest needs are long before you even existed and certainly long before you even knew what you thought you needed. Isn't this interesting? Peter thinks Jesus doesn't get it, man. Jesus is going to the cross. He's not supposed to do that. All the while, Jesus was on his way to meet great Peter's greatest need. How many times are we like, man, God doesn't get it. He doesn't see me. He's not concerned for me. All the while, God knows exactly what we need. The greatest evidence, the greatest proof that God is concerned and cares for you is the cross of Jesus. Man, does God care for me? Does he see me? All you have to look to is the cross and it is proof that he cares for you. To the widow who wonders if anyone ever even notices her anymore, God sees you. He cares for you. He's concerned for you. To the man in his 40s who's hit a brick wall and with his family and his business and he's crying out to God, God, do you hear me? Yes, God hears your prayers. He hears your cries. Where's the proof of that? The cross of Jesus Christ. To the 19-year-old girl who who's, feels like, man, I went through this, through this, my first breakup and it seems like not a big deal, but I'm brokenhearted. Yes, God cares for you. God was concerned about you long before you. You can rest in that. There's joy in that. You have a caring God who is concerned for you. He knows what your greatest need is. So even when you are running away from him and even trying to hinder the work of God, he still cares for you. We got a good God, y'all. Here's the cool thing. It's not this nonchalant caring. Like, yeah, I care for these people, but as soon as things get hard, I'm gonna dip out. Like, I'm gonna quit. No, God, his care for you is deep and robust. Let me show you. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. So if you're new to the New Testament, it's the next book after Matthew. Mark chapter 10, we're gonna look at verse, starting in verse 32 in just a minute. Mark 10, 32. It says they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the 12 aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. They're gonna condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. He will rise after three days. It's interesting. Jesus knew exactly what was awaiting him in Jerusalem. You know, we, we make journeys sometimes and are often clueless. We don't know what it holds. On this particular journey, Jesus knew exactly what lay ahead of him. He knows when he gets to Jerusalem that he would be eventually mocked. The king of the universe mocked as a joke. Reading the gospel accounts that Roman soldiers 
pull out his beard, spit on him, hit him. Jesus, who was it that hit you? If you're all, so all wise and all knowing, who is it that hit you, Jesus? As he would be pushed around back and forth between the Roman soldiers. Jesus, if you're really the king of the Jews, then why are you on that cross? Oh, wow, Jesus, impressive. Jesus, you, you saved others, but you apparently can't save yourself. Why are you still hanging on that cross by nails, Jesus? The all-powerful one mocked, mocked as if he had no power. The, the king of the universe mocked as if he had no authority. The one who had come to save the world mocked as if he couldn't save anybody. Not even himself. He knew he would be mocked. He knew he would be spit on. He knew he would be flogged. Beaten to a bloody pulp beyond recognition. So if you were to see him, you don't even know who that man is. Is that a, is that a beast? Who is that? Eventually, he would be killed, nailed to a cross. Beyond that, as if that wasn't enough awaiting him in Jerusalem, Jesus knew he would bear the weight of our sin and shame. Some different scholars believe that maybe that is what what actually killed Jesus even more than the physical part, but the, the soul-wrenching agony, heart-wrenching agony of bearing the weight of the sin of the world. Think about how, how bad you feel. I, I'm, right, I'm right there with you. Think about how bad we feel when we sin. It, that, that sin that shame, that, that guilt, that, that feeling of condemnation. Jesus on the cross bore all of that for every one of our sins, for all of human history, for every single man, woman, boy or girl who's ever lived. Well, some people aren't that bad. No, there's only one sinless person. His name is Jesus. So he bore it for everybody. Yet he chose to go to Jerusalem. He knew that's what was waiting, awaiting him and he still marched on to Jerusalem. It's as if the world was on death row, all of us lined up, think about that, lined up chair after chair after chair and Jesus walks in and says, hey, I'll take the punishment for everybody. All the shame, you know, the news cameras, you can uh, look at me, I'll take the, all the guilt, the condemnation, the shame, I'll do it for everybody. What is amazing about that? That the king of the universe embraced shame so you and me could embrace grace. <laughs> Jesus faced all of it, the mocking, being spat upon, being killed, the shame of our sin, the guilt of our sin. He faced all of it, embraced it. Not just like, I'll face it. No, he embraced it so you and I could know 
the loving embrace of grace through Jesus Christ. Amen? He faced it all. He, he welcomed it. And some of us, maybe this morning, you're, you're, you're sitting here and you're feeling a little squirmy being in church because you know this week you've done some things you ought not to have done. You've said some things you ought not to have said. And Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to squirm in shame because I'm, because I'm offering you grace and mercy and forgiveness. And some of you, you've messed up as a parent this week. You've said some things you shouldn't have said. You've maybe, gosh, like, spent too much time away from your kids this week, and so there's some shame this morning. Maybe you do need to repent some things, but the reality is Jesus doesn't want you to stay in shame. He's offering you to embrace grace because he embraced shame for you. You don't have to carry that weight, that load anymore. Some of you, you and so many of us, we've struggled with the same sins over and over and over. And so every time you open up your Bible or, or begin to go to, to pray and talk with the Lord, you sense this shame and this guilt. And he's saying, you don't have to walk in shame. You don't have to embrace shame because I embraced it for you. You can embrace grace. And we have a good God, y'all. I, I love, don't you love seeing a child when someone is going to present a gift to them and when they reach out or okay, reach out with their arms and their smile is as big as the Grand Canyon and they embrace that gift with joy. Don't you love seeing that? That's what Jesus offers to you through the cross. To, to reach out and embrace grace. To reach out and embrace forgiveness. To reach out and not have to receive condemnation for God, from God, but receive, but receive forgiveness and hope and freedom. Jesus embraced shame so you could embrace grace. Think about that word embrace. We think of like hugging, yes, embrace, but it's also this idea of when you embrace something, it's the attitude to which, with which you approach something or someone, right? So if you're, if you're embracing it, you're saying, hey, hey come on, let, I, I'll, I'll take that in. I'm, I'm not afraid of that. When I think about the heart, the demeanor, the attitude of which Jesus approached the cross. I don't know if there's a better verse, it's really simple, than, than Luke chapter nine, verse 51. If you would turn there with me, Luke chapter nine, verse 51. I don't know what yours says, my, my heading above this <clears throat> passage or paragraph says, the journey to Jerusalem. And then chapter nine, verse 51, it says this. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, so fix to die, rise again, eventually go to ascend to the right hand of the Father. It says, when those days were coming, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He determined. You may have a little footnote. So if you, I don't know how your text is laid out in, in your Bible, but I've got a little uh, letter right after the word determined, which shows me there's a footnote down at the bottom. And I go down, uh, and you can look at yours as well. Mine shows me that a more literal translation, and this is accurate, is he stiffened his face. Some literal translations would say he set his face like flint. That's a cool verse. Jesus 
knowing full well what's ahead of him, mocking, shame, flogging, the cross, desertion by his disciples, all of his friends, feeling in a sense that separation from the Father, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows all that is ahead of him, and yet he sets his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. This is like a Navy SEAL going into battle or a father choosing to jump in the pool to save his child. You set your face like flint. You're not turning around. What a cool verse. Do you you see what's happening here? The cross is not just something that happened to Jesus. Like, oh man, that was unfortunate. He was really misunderstood, which he was misunderstood. It wasn't just, oh man, can't believe that happened. Like this passive thing. No, Jesus actively went to the cross for you and me. Here's the beauty of it. Jesus, the king of the universe, was dead set on dying for you. Think about that. Jesus, the Lord of all creation, through whom everything was made, through whom the universe is held together, he was dead set on dying for you and me. Nothing could deter him from going to the cross. We just think about it. You know everything about me, God. Jesus knows everything about you and me. Even 2,000 years ago, he knew every single sin we would struggle with, every stray thought we would have that we shouldn't have, every place we should go that we shouldn't go. And yet he set his face like flint to go to the cross. He didn't flinch. He said, I'm going to pay the price for their sins. That was his heart. That was his attitude. That was his demeanor as he went toward the cross. What does that say to you and me? Y'all, we are loved. (laughs) The God of the universe says, and nothing gonna get in my way. Get behind me, Satan. I'm going to the cross to pay for their sins. Y'all, that is rock solid, flint-like love. Nothing could deter him. Nothing, no, nothing you could think, say, or do would have stopped him from going to the cross. And if you're like, well, I don't, I don't know, like I kind of get that, but I mean, like, does he really love me? Or was it, was it just that he was like going to pay the price to kind of settle some accounts? First of all, listen to this. John 10, 18 says, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So again, in case you're thinking like, well, did this really happen or was he choosing to? No, he was choosing to lay his life down. But again, back to the question I just asked, if you're like, man, was, was God just trying to avoid an awkward family reunion and so he wanted to make some things right? No, listen to John 12, 32. Jesus says, if I be lifted up from the earth, so he's talking about the manner which, which, with which he would die, the cross. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. What was one of Jesus's purposes in going to the cross? It was dr- to draw God's children to himself, to draw you and me to himself. Here's the beauty of that. If you're, if you're struggling, man, does God just put up with me or does he actually love me? Listen to this. This shows us, John 12, 32 shows that Jesus' journey to the cross was one of relationship, not reluctance. The fact that he set his face like flint and he's saying, I'm going to draw them to myself 
shows his journey to the cross was not about reluctance, like, oh gosh, come on, God the Father, why do I have to do this? Like, no, his journey was one of relationship. I wanna draw them to myself. See, the cross is proof that Jesus doesn't treat you coldly and hold you stiff arm like, oh, hey, Brandon, good to see you, you dirty little sinner. No, he welcomes you with arms wide open. Not reluctantly, but joyfully and excitedly welcomes you into his arms. That is his heart. That is his demeanor. And that's why I went boldly to the cross. That is love, y'all. It's the kind of love that caused the Puritan Thomas Goodwin lived in the 17th century. Actually, sorry, I'm quoting the wrong guy. I'll get there in a second. It's the kind of love that led the hymn writer who wrote, the love of God, to write these words. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The wandering child is reconciled by God's beloved son. The aching soul made whole and priceless pardon won. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and everyone a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. You are loved. Jesus, not just the cross, even his journey to the cross, the attitude with which he went to the cross shows you are loved. See y'all, the cross is not Jesus seeing your sin and seeing the mess that you are and running away. No, the cross is Jesus seeing your sin, seeing the mess that you are and running towards you. I mentioned a second ago when I got my people mixed up, um, Thomas Goodwin in his book, The Heart of Christ, points out this, beautiful, points out that Jerusalem, the city to which Jesus went and was betrayed, mocked, crucified, hated, that city, those people, they were the first people Jesus told his disciples to go to and spread the love and grace and hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Do <laughs> you get that? We do our worst and God says, I'm gonna love you my best. <laughs> the people who crucified Jesus says, hey, you know what? Sounds like they could use some grace and mercy. Let's go to them first. <laughs> the thing that we, we hold back and now that's my biggest mess, Jesus says, now I wanna love on that first. And he's determined to love and forgive you. The cross is Jesus seeing you in all of your mess. And rather than running away, it's him running towards you, just like he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. 
Praise God. You know, you don't, you don't really apply that. Here's what I mean. When you, when you go to the beach, you know, when, when we took the kids to the beach, I didn't get there and take 15, 20 minutes to tell Caroline Tate and Haddon the rules of the beach, right? No, we, you, you go enjoy it. You get to the beach and you feel the sand between your toes. If it's not early March, you get in the water. <laughs> you, you soak up the blue sky and the sunshine. Feel the wind on your face. You bask in it. You enjoy it. Don't apply it. When you think about the love of God and, and, and God's heart towards you, you don't take that and go, now I'm gonna go apply it. No, no. You enjoy it. And as you enjoy God's love displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ, it absolutely puts childlike joy in your heart. I didn't have to tell Haddon, hey, go have fun, go enjoy the beach, go, go be crazy. No, like he had joy and he took off running. <laughs> That's what happens with us. If you're a believer in the room, I, seriously, the call to response this morning is just to maybe be in awe of God's love for you displayed on the cross and his journey to Jerusalem, to, to bask in the mercy and grace and goodness and riches of God. And like the hymn writer says, like, we, we've just barely like uncovered a little bit. Like it's not like this morning, wow, we really dove deep into the love of God. No, we, we just put our toe in the water. Like we're not even diving in yet bask in his goodness towards you. If, if you're not a believer, th there is a response that is to embrace this gift of love that Jesus offers you. I mentioned this earlier at the Lord's Supper. It's, it's to, to recognize that we all, like sheep, have turned away. Like, like it says in Isaiah 53, we've, we've all turned and gone our own way, but Jesus paid the price for your sin on the cross. There are gonna be some people down front in just a moment when I, after I pray, as we sing, that would love to talk to you about what it means and what it looks like to, to again, to simply turn from yourself and sin, and sin and trusting in yourself and to place your faith and hope in Jesus and to call on him to be the Lord of your life. And Jesus lovingly has his arms extended this morning. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna stand and sing and respond as God leads us. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for your love. God, would you, would you open our eyes? Would you give us a childlike joy based on just an, an awe, a, a wonder at what you've done for us? That we would be in awe of the way that you journeyed toward the cross, of it. You were concerned about us long before we were concerned about us. <laughs> and that even when we are concerned about the wrong things, you're still concerned about us and care for us. God, that you embrace shame so we can embrace your grace. God, that you were dead set on dying for us even when we, even when we were dead set on running away from you. 
And God, that you pursued us with relationship, not reluctantly so you could put up with us, but you long for us to be near to you. God, thank you that you have ran after us and pursued us and that you don't stop even when we struggle. God, as we sing this next song, would you again just fill our hearts with joy from your love? And that, that joy would overflow into our lives. God, for those maybe this morning that, that don't know you, would you just work in their hearts right now to draw them to yourself? I pray they would have boldness and courage to, to come down front and talk with one of these folks down here about trusting you and receiving this amazing gift of grace. God, we love you. We're grateful for your word and how you always speak to us. So your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.